1: That's fine. I'll cut that out. Elliot, here we are. We're in person. I can touch you.
0: Please don't.
1: (laughs) It's like I can touch you. Please Please don't. don't. Uh, This is a very exciting episode. I'm really excited to get this episode started. We are talking about one of my favorite movies. But before that, we have an exciting announcement.
0: Well, we have an announcement.
1: (laughs) I'm excited by the announcement. Elliot is apathetic towards it. We are introducing some new I guess you would call outreach sort of things. Growth programs. Growth programs for the podcast, yes. So we, in the description to this episode, as well as the description of our podcast, and I'm going to work on adding them to the description of every episode we put up, but there's a lot of them, so that might take a while. Uh, You're going to see two links. One of those is an email address. We have a new dedicated email address for feedback, requests, comments, concerns, any movie question you might have, Uh, we'd love to hear from you shoot us an email let us know what you think of the podcast what you think of some movies that have come out Uh, I'm very excited by this feature I'm very excited to see the hundreds and hundreds of emails roll in yeah obviously if you swear a lot we won't be able to read it out on air yeah but especially here at the beginning when we're getting like no emails any email you get we we will read live (laughs) on air react to it So, that's one. The second one is we have a new PayPal account dedicated for the podcast. Elliot's making a face. I didn't
0: realize you were doing this so soon.
1: Yeah. Well, and so this is how this is going to work. If you have enjoyed the podcast and you are in a financial situation where you can do so, we are more than happy to accept donations up to $2. (laughs) What? Um. Yeah, it's a PayPal account. You can donate any money you want to the podcast. All the money is going to go back into the podcast. We have some things that we would like to do that require money. Stuff like Elliot still doesn't have a microphone. Right. So getting Elliot a microphone is up there. Uh, Also, stuff like if we want to have merch, that would require some amount of capital in order to uh, do it. So if, if you have money, if you've enjoyed the podcast, if you feel so moved... Uh, That's a link you can click to uh, do that if you'd like. (laughs) Are we going to, like,
0: release our financials to prove that everything is just going back into the podcast?
1: Uh, We can, I guess. I don't know. It's going to be difficult for us to do all of that. I don't want to release all of our financials. I'm assuming we're not going to make enough money for it to really matter. Well. But... (laughs) Well, I guess we'll react on air to all donations we you receive can, as well. I'm just saying you can always skim a little off the top. We, I pinky swear that we will not do that. <laughs> all
0: right. I I wash my hands of this. Uh, this is Nathan's thing. If in case you didn't know, this was prompted by a significant surge in our listenership, particularly the Oppenheimer episode. Great job, Christopher Nolan fans. Uh, we love you. We are one of you. Yeah. Um, so I'm still skeptical if that's a real thing or not. It could be bots. It could be Russian trolls. Those are everywhere these days. Uh, it is interesting. I have never talked about the blog since I just assumed nobody was reading it, which was always going to be the case. But I did get a surge in readership on that as well recently. Like the most recent post has 63 or so views. So that. Lend some credence to the idea. Sorry, I'm not supposed <laughs> to make additional that. <laughs> noise. That, do, that is interesting. I guess, welcome if you are starting to read it. I, I try to update it. It's been very patchy lately, but uh, I do try to do it as regularly as I can. And I guess I'll start adding all these links
1: at the base, at the bottom. Yep. Beautiful. Amazing. So those are the exciting developments happening at the podcast. Uh, let's dive into the movie. Let's get this started. You know, Let's get this started in here, as the Black Eyed Peas said. What? <laughs> it's a song lyric. That that joke's going to really land with our listenership, Elliot. Okay. Uh, we're talking about, uh, Elliot, I guess I'm going to let you do this. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: I'm supposed to set it up. You're supposed to knock it down.
1: I think either of us can set it up or knock this one down. Uh, this is Blade Runner 2049. Elliot, what's the deal? Tell us about it.
0: Okay, apparently this is something I'm doing. Uh, This is a 2017 movie, a sequel to 1986, I think, 1986, uh, Blade Runner, based on Do Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, famous science fiction author. Blade Runner was a bit of a cult classic until it became an actual classic. It was not very well received on release. But the gist is, the gist of the world is that it's in the future. Well, it was in the future at the time. Uh, we've actually surpassed this fe- this future ourselves. But it's in a vision of human society where overpopulation um, its miserable. It's pretty miserable, leading to uh, colonization of off-world planets, which are never really explained. Uh, This is possible through, and generally life is possible through replicants. That's bioengineered humans. So they're not robots. They're not androids despite the title of the book implying that they are. Maybe they are in the book. I don't know. I don't know either. In the movie, they're not robots. They are bioengineered humans. So they have flesh and blood and stuff. But uh, they are sort of like they're slaves, essentially. um, Until there's some rebellions and stuff. And then so that's Blade Runner, where we meet Deckard, who is a Blade Runner. They are the people who are kind of like replicant enforcers. They hunt down rogue replicants and retire them. Bit of a euphemism there. So at the end of that movie, Deckard fled with his hot replicant girlfriend, uh, and there was questions of whether he was replicant or not, which I never really understood, because who cares. So then we come to Blade Runner 2049, which is obviously set in 2049. And things are different. Things are very different. Uh, ecological disaster has struck. Basically, climate change has completely... Uh, is, is is as worse, as bad as it's going to get. But thankfully, we have Neander Wallace, who created synthetic farming. Um, he became, like, a god on Earth. And reintroduced replicants. This time, replicants who obey, who aren't rebellious. Um, and they're still... As the title screen says, I know this is really going on. Uh, but as the title screen says, there are still older replicants out there. They have to be hunted down and retired by Blade Runners. Those who hunt them still go by the name Blade Runner. That's really cool. I really enjoy that. And our main character is just one such replicant. That's Officer KD I don't know. Yeah, I was going to be impressed if you had all of that. Officer K, who's a replicant and a Blade Runner for the LAPD, I think. Yeah. Um, and he stumbles on what appears to be a replicant birth, uh, the past birth of a replicant, which is not supposed to be possible. It's supposed to be that replicants cannot um, give birth, which is sort of what distinguishes them from from humans and keeps them subservient. not 100% sure how. But this is very important because if replicants can make other replicants rather than just having to make replicants one by one on a production line or something, Neander Wallace thinks that that will give him the workforce he needs to, like, really spread out among the stars and stuff. So now we've got ourselves a race between Kay and the Wallace Corporation looking for this child. All the while, Kay wrestles with himself and with his past and we meet some familiar faces we meet some new faces there's some violence there's some long shots of people walking (laughs) that's the movie uh again this is a 2017 movie directed by Denis Villeneuve one of my favorite directors a director that Nathan really enjoys a lot as well this was nominated for a couple Oscars mostly in the technical state exclusively in the technical stage it won for best special effects and best cinematography uh yeah, Nathan. Why don't you tell the audience we have the same story uh, of how we were introduced to this movie? So why don't you give it to the audience, and yeah. then maybe they'll give us like five bucks.
1: Yeah, it. I guess to uh to pitch a movie that's currently out. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is in fact the director of the Dune movie, and the soon to come out. It'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, Dune Part Two. Go see that. Go support uh, real cinema. <laughs> in your cinema in your local cinema but yeah this was 2017 i would say is one of the is one of the touchstone years in my personal journey of getting in, in really into film and blade runner 2049 was one of those movies that got me into film i had seen the original blade runner and it didn't make any sense i didn't get what was going on but I was reasonably excited for this movie. I saw a lot of trailers. I thought it looked neat. I convinced Elliot to go and see it in theaters with me. This is one of those movies that I'm proud to say I saw in theaters because I think it's a movie that really caught a lot of attention after its theatrical run yeah very poor box office showing unfortunately yeah. it's it's very much a successor to blade runner which had yeah. the same exact life story that it bombed and then became a bit of a cult classic but we went to see this in theaters and i think it, i i think i can speak for both of us it blew our socks off this movie it blew me away i was changed coming out of the film and ever since then i revisit it every so often and i think i get more out of it every time i re-watch it so i on this latest rewatch, i continued to love this movie is that pretty much your experience as well yeah absolutely
0: this is one of my favorite movies period uh full stop this is i was i was so miserable when we went to see this movie this was a really rough time for me and, man, I just remember feeling so good when we left that I was like, oh, my goodness. I just felt better about myself <laughs> after watching this really grim, bleak movie about uh, people trying to kill children or people trying to kill uh, anyone, really. Yeah, yeah this movie, uh, and then I've shown it to multiple people. None of them have gotten it. They're They're just, I don't even know. They, it's not they're not ready for it yeah uh, they'll understand when they're older yeah. I think <laughs> yeah so this is this is the movie that you chose in honor of dune coming out instead of dune part one because Nathan doesn't quite understand how search engine optimization works <laughs> but
1: uh why don't you go ahead and set us up where do you want to start um I think. I think the biggest thing in this movie, there's a lot of elements in this movie, but the thing that I keep coming back to is the story, and specifically the story of Kay. I think Kay is such a fantastic character. He's such an amazing progression of the ideas from the first Blade Runner. I was talking to a friend before I watched it this weekend about Blade Runner, and he was saying how he likes Blade Runner 2049 because it has better twists, which I agree with. But I think on a deeper level, I also think Blade Runner 2049 gets at the ideas of the original Blade Runner in a way that's a little better. Because Kay is a replicant, the question of what does it mean to be human and what does it look like to be a human being is... It's got at much easier than with Deckard where he was kind of discovering that the replicants are just as legitimate human beings as he is... Kay is the story of the movie is Kay discovering for himself what it means to be a replicant as over the course of this film he sees things that challenge his beliefs he sees things that challenges his understanding of himself and he comes to a place that for me is such an amazing place of self-dictating what he wants to be that throughout the movie he's told by other people who he's supposed to be what he's supposed to do and the end of the movie finally comes to a place of self-actualization where he says no i'm a person i have free will i get to choose what i do and the thing he chooses is a beautiful thing it's a beautiful story so i think we should start by talking about k which you already have which I already have at length but you know what do you think of K, do you like him as a character? Do you like oh, his arc, his story?
0: I love Kay. I think you put it very well there. Um, Kay doesn't really see himself as fully real in any significant sense for most of this movie. He sees himself as a tool, which is basically what he is. He's a tool of the state. Um, or at least a tool of uh, law enforcement. Yeah. And this is such a great... We're going to spoil this movie. Yeah. Um, this is such a great... like. I wouldn't necessarily call it a subversion more like a response to the idea of the chosen one in movies which is typically like someone is predestined to take action that only they can this movie kind of rejects that it's like Kay. so Kay thinks that he is the child of a replicant uh the child of rachel from the original movie and deckard um also from the original movie and that like sort of gives him license in his eyes to be real, to be a real person, make his own decisions because it means that he's 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 special. He's someone who was who represents something really important. And then what we learn is that that's not the case. He is a replicant. He's just like everyone else. And the movie rejects the idea or at least calls into question the idea that you can only make these kinds of decisions or be called to this kind of greatness if you are if you are predestined for that, if you are special. But Kay isn't special, and he decides, well, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to make my decisions and do the right thing, which is to save Deckard, who um, is, at this point in the movie, he's being taken off world so he can be tortured and admit who he gave his child to, which will lead them to this replicant resistance that is similar to Wallace in that they just want him to do something. They want to use him as a tool. They want him to kill Deckard so that they can't find, so that Wallace can't find the resistance. And Kay decides that it doesn't matter if he's not special. It doesn't matter if he's not the chosen one. He's still going to do his own thing. He's going to make the right choice because that's the right thing to do. And dying for the right cause is the most human thing we can do. So I. I love this character. I think this is such a great arc. It was so surprising the first time I watched it. I remember just feeling absolutely gutted for Kay when he realizes that he's not the child. Like, And I just want to say, can I just address all the Ryan Gosling performance haters out there? No! No! This is a great performance. I understand that sometimes people can go a little too far in the, like monotone, blank-faced hitman performance. I think that Ryan Gosling's performance in this movie, there's a lot more going on under the hood here. Like, there are moments, especially when he, like, really cracks, where you can see that his facade is breaking down, that there are moments of truly special acting, especially when he gets this gut punch and just looks down and sits down so heavily and he just looks despondent because... This was his special thing. This was what made him special. And then to just come back from that and go like, no, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to get out there and save Deckard for myself, for my own free will. It's fantastic. This is, oh my gosh.
1: I love it. I, I love it too. I think the story is one of the things and the twist, like you said, was one of the things that really attracted me to the movie the first time that I didn't catch on the first viewing a lot of these other things the story was just so gripping. I was so invested in Kay's journey of self-discovery. I, the twist blew me out of the water, even though it is the same twist as the Lego movie has. Yes, which i have spoken at <laughs> length about yeah. this. I love comparing these two movies because I think it's kind of funny. And I think they're both good for like the same reason. That, Like you said, the assertion that you don't have to be special or preordained or predestined, You know, as Kratos said, we will write our own story. <laughs> That we can dictate who we are going to be. And, yeah, I can't praise Ryan Gosling's performance enough. I think it's fantastic. The scene, to me, that is the most gutting and awful is when he's on the boardwalk and the giant joy hologram comes over. And she basically repeats a bunch of the lines. Joy is a hologram that Kay had that he sort of had a relationship with. He liked talking to her. She was an AI, but she was... Hologram, but he enjoyed talking to her. They had sort of these uh, cute, enjoyed, funny. <laughs> they had these cutesy little sayings that they would say to each other. She gave him a real name when they discovered he was a real Joe! person. Yes, Joe. And this scene on the bridge, this giant hologram Joy advertisement comes over and basically repeats a bunch of the lines that his Joy. That it's nailing home this idea that there was nothing ever special about. The name he was given was a name dictated by a lower-level programming in the hologram. The special things that they would say to each other, what a day, mm-hmm. wasn't anything meaningful. It had no deeper meaning, and, I mean, it's crushing. Ryan Gosling looks crushed. <laughs> it's, I think... You'll have to confirm this for me
0: because I'm not really on the internet much, but I think it became a meme. Like, his face
1: of just looking down and looking sad became a meme. Yes, that he looks so despondent. And it's because it's the lowest point of the movie. He's everything that he's ever felt was special or meaningful was ripped away from him. And in this space, he makes this beautiful decision that he's like, No, I still have free will. I still get to choose. And I think Deckard meeting his daughter is important. And so that's what I'm going to go and do. And I think that's fantastic. I absolutely love it. I think it's so amazing. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a moving
0: affirmation of humanity, of the humanity that's in him despite not being fully human. But I think what's at really at the heart of the movie is asking these questions about, well, what does it mean to be human? And what do these, like, superficial things, like having a girlfriend or being born, what does that really matter? Or is, is it not just, like, our ability to make decisions for ourselves and to do the right thing regardless of these, like, predestined sort of uh, external factors? Like, it, what's human about us and what makes us human, what the humanity in all of us is an internal thing that we have to realize for ourselves. It's very powerful.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think the movie is getting at that in a lot of different ways to kind of expand the scope of our discussion beyond just Kay. I think Joy is even a very interesting examination of that, that clearly Kay's relationship with Joy means a lot to him, even though Joy is even more unreal than he is. That, And I think Ana de Armas does a fantastic job of portraying this character, who is kind of, you know, you can tell her base programming is just like a flirty woman who's there because people are cripplingly lonely in this dystopian society, not like here in our great <laughs> society. <laughs> but she's so great the way that she's able to pull these things out of Kay. and that I really love the scenes where Kay is even kind of like flirting with her and she's she gets jealous every time he talks to a woman. Also, every woman in the film, I think once besides Deckard's daughter wants to sleep with Kay or make some, pass at k at some point (laughs) which doesn't matter i just think uh, even in the movie ryan gosling is still um, breaking hearts yeah breaking hearts but i think joy is another example of the movie pulling at this idea uh i also love the line that deckard says when deckard has a dog with him and k asks is the dog real and deckard's like ask him like what does what does it matter what's real versus what we choose to say matters and what we choose to say is important to us Mm -hmm. and there's all these other different elements in the movie and in the world that are pulling at this same idea of what does it mean if it's real versus it having meaning for us as human beings
0: yeah i mean it is
1: and this isn't a philosophy
0: that i necessarily am totally on board with but i think it's very interesting and very well explored here but i think the idea is that the dog is functionally real it is functionally the same thing as a dog that was born between there's no difference between it that if it indeed was made on an assembly line and a dog that was just born like it performs the same function and the same idea applies to um k that he is he is functionally the same as a human because he's making these decisions for himself. He's making his... He's he's creating principles and values and then acting on them, which
1: is a very human thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about some of the other characters that are in the movie. Uh, Robin Wright plays Adam. Dude, I was
0: really surprised this time around how much I enjoyed her performance. Really? Like, she is the classic uh, hard-edged, no BS-taking um head cop but she just does it really well i just found her so entertaining like her sort of foul-mouthed um brusqueness it's not necessarily the deepest thing in the world or like the most i'm sure it wasn't the most challenging character to play but it's just really it's just really entertaining to watch
1: (laughs) yeah some of the other characters, uh, Jared Leto as Neander Wallace. Jared Leto is a perfect casting for a weirdo creep I don't <laughs> want to spend any time with. Uh, in I think in his first scene that he appears, he defends slavery. Oh, yeah. Just in case you want to know how bad of a human being this guy is. Um, I just looked at the name, and then I instantly forgot it. That's embarrassing for me. Sylvia Hoax plays Love, who is kind oh, of yes. the... I, Wallace is the primary antagonist, but she's the primary method by which his antagonism affects the story. She's another replicant who's trying to track down Kay, who's also, in an interesting way, in an interesting counterpoint to Kay. She is also deciding her own values and determining her own things, as evidenced by when she kills Madame and she says, "I'm gonna lie. like, I'm doing this because she's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. She's an evil person. So it's kind of a flip of Kay." coming to a realization hey i can do anything and also i can do the right thing mm-hmm. she can do anything and she chooses to do the wrong thing yeah very, very bad of her uh dave batista is in a brief sort of role as uh the replicant that Kay kills at the beginning of the movie kind Harrison the Ford. the inciting incident yes harrison ford is back as rick deckard uh i think he does a pretty good job honestly yeah. compared to some of his other movies where they drag him back (laughs) into a a role he hates uh, I think he does a really good job as well as he's not in the movie very much so he doesn't have much chance to Mm -hmm. bring his low energy yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think that's all that's most of the major characters but I think Uh, everyone
0: there's also uh, Mackenzie Davis who plays uh, Hooker
1: um, yeah part of the replicant resistance
0: yeah the replicant riot
1: yeah, I think that's what their name is. <laughs> that's what yeah. I would name them. But I think even beyond the sporting cast, I think another thing, and this is something that everyone always says when they're talking about Denis movies, and especially now as people are reviewing Dune, he makes such, he puts so much effort into making an incredibly well-realized science fiction world. There are so many little details of things that are unexplained that are seemingly explained by just, ah, it's the future, this is how things are. They're very intuitive. Yes. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, the movie looks incredible. I absolutely adore all of the little touches of things like... Uh, there's a lot of characters who are like replicant racist. They've got their own sort of slurs that they say towards replicants to mm-hmm. diminish their value. We won't say them here because we're not replicants. <laughs> um, yeah, out <laughs> of respect for the replicant <laughs> population, we're not going to say them here. But it's just very interesting the way he's able to pull... This time around, the even stupid things, but like... When Kay returns to the tree, you can see the hole they dug to get mm-hmm. the crate out. And it looks like they just literally pulled the crate out and pulled all the dirt. Like, there's no—it's not a hole that was dug by a shovel. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter because it's such a tiny detail, but it's such an amazing thing of like, oh, what did they use for sho- to dig holes <laughs> in this universe? It just—it— it, it it makes me really excited because it's very creative and it's very well realized, and so it makes me go, "Wow, that's so neat!" I feel like a little kid watching it. That I'm like, "Oh, all of these little things." It's, I feel like it's similar to how people felt watching the original Star Wars. That it was just so many things that pushed your imagination into another level. Even mm-hmm. if it is about stupid things like how do they build dig, dig holes, I got kind of weirdly excited as I was watching it at that yeah it's definitely a hard science fiction
0: and there's clearly been a lot of thought put into what does it look like um like the whole ecological thing so the los angeles now has a seawall to keep back the sea because obviously the uh ice caps have melted to the point where if you don't have a seawall los angeles is going to drown yeah and just like the world design like i oh my gosh i love the shots Of him coming back from Morton's farm and just this nightmarish, condensed, suffocating mess of humanity that this city is. Like, it's just, it's so claustrophobic. And he's just like flying over it. We don't actually spend that much time on the street, but just that that one shot tells you so much about the lines along which this world has evolved. Like, it's become overpopulated uh it's the priorities in architecture are now to just squeeze as many people as possible into as small a living space as you can give them without killing them which is depressing but it's it just represents that extra mile that the art direction and the production design team went to make this feel like a lived-in world which is usually the gold standard of Alternate universes since Star Wars is do they feel lived in?
1: Yeah, I think another example is when he's flying out to the orphanage and some raiders or something attack him in the trash pile. Even the implications of that, that there's people who just live in this humongous garbage dump and that they have their own system of getting flying cars out, that they shoot a harpoon that's attached to a thing, and because the weather is only so bad there's enough <laughs> static electricity that it short circuits his car and so he crashes that none of this is explained it's all left for you to intuit from watching the movie and you can logically into it because it makes sense even though it's a different you know world it has different things than what we're used to we're able to into it and come to the conclusion of like oh this must be this and the movie doesn't have to hold your hand the whole way and explain it instead the world just exists the story is taking place in this world. It's so amazing. It's so, yeah, and it looks so incredible. Yeah, this. so this movie won two Oscars, one
0: for Best Special Effects, one for Best Cinematography. I cannot think of a more deserving movie for those two uh, accolades. Like, the special effects are pitch perfect. They look, it, they, I mean, it's, it's photorealistic. Yeah. And then... This cinematographer, I don't know if we've talked about him before, but Roger Deakins is a cinematographer legend, and that's because he is so good. Like, there's something about his movies, movies that he shoots, that just makes them immediately watchable. Even for a movie that I don't really like, like Skyfall, Mm -hmm. I didn't love that movie, but the way that he understands shots, shot composition, and the what makes sense go, moving from shot to shot just makes everything lock together so well. Like, every shot feels like it's a natural extension of the one preceding it. And, like, it just gets me excited because I'm like, oh, that's the perfect shot to follow up this
1: one. What's the next one going to be? And they all look incredible. Oh, I mean, the gosh. use of color in the movie, the use of, like you said, composition. Uh, Every one, almost every one of these shots could be pulled and used as like a desktop for your computer or something. Mm-hmm. They look so fantastic, and each environment has kind of a different color to it. When he gets into Las Vegas and everything's really orange, when he's out at Saffer Morton's Farm and everything's kind of a light gray, it's overcast when he's in the city and it's just that claustrophobic, awful darkness everywhere it's so beautiful the snow it's it looks amazing yeah and roger deakins one uh, we can actually plug another movie review podcast roger deakins has a podcast with his wife where he talks to a lot of their frequent collaborators directors and actors uh i find the podcast fascinating so we'll just plug that real quick you're welcome roger <laughs> <laughs>
0: send our huge listener base yeah. over to theirs maybe send your listener base over to us <laughs> yeah. and do it a
1: little bit of an exchange yeah but he he won an oscar for this his first yeah and only oscar no he won for skyfall then oh he did yeah oh, okay so he's won twice he's been nominated i think at this point 16 times yeah he won for Blade Runner 2049, which I believe was his 14th nomination. Dang. And his first win, which is crazy. It's like it's like when you learn that Stanley Kubrick
0: never won Best, best Director. Director. You're like, how? I mean, he's so clearly the best.
1: Yeah. That's, that's street facts, actually. Well, yeah. I don't know this <laughs> about
0: Stanley Kubrick. But definitely, I mean, Roger Deakins is so clearly one of the best working cinematographers. Yeah. Him and... Greg Fraser and Hoitdevin Hoitema.
1: Hoytema. They create a Rodrigo trio. Rodrigo Yeah, there's a lot of great cinema. Anyway, not to flex our knowledge. <laughs> yeah. cinematography. Oh, have, have I mentioned to you that I have a favorite cinematographer? But to kind of pull it back towards the movie, there is that a, was the movie. Well, Roger even Deakins more is part so, the movie. even more so the movie. Uh, there's a reoccurring shot in this movie that I find really interesting that he has a shot of a character holding out their hand Mm. to kind of experience the world in a new way and it represents a through line that i think is fantastic in terms of visually indicating when changes are happening to the character without having to beat it over your head somehow that when joy first gets her emitter that she's able to go wherever k goes because her hologram can be emitted The emitter somehow, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and they go up to the rooftop and it's raining, and this is the first time she's experienced, so to speak, rain. And she puts her hands out. And when Kay learns from the memory person that he's most probably the child, that the memory he has was a real person's memory, he walks out into the snow and he does the same thing that the character is experiencing the world in a different way. And at the end of the movie, Kay makes a final motion that he's fully come around to a new way of experiencing the world. Which I just think I I just think is such a beautiful way of encapsulating the movie in a way that makes sense. Denis recently went on record <laughs> to talk about how much he hates dialogue. So I think it's a beautiful way of visualizing the changes of the character and letting you know what's happening internally without beating your head over. Yeah, absolutely. I I love it when movies can communicate
0: information visually. That's one of my that's one of my favorite things just to pick up on in a movie, like just the satisfaction of knowing something that's happening cuz you use your thinking meat yeah. uh, and more more importantly, the movie is effectively giving you that information.
1: Yeah. Which this movie does in spades. I mean, the story is reasonably simple but it never holds your hand in anything you have to be paying attention in order to get what each step k is taking in his case initially and then in his own kind of journey of figuring out who he is and where deckard is and what he can do with that yeah, wow, I don't, I, it's yeah. hard, there's just so many good things about this movie.
0: Well, that, I was going to say, it's also just a great noir movie. Yeah. Like, I'm a big fan of noirs, uh, except for Le Samurai, that movie sucks. That's um, okay, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but I love noir movies, uh, they're typically slow-paced, and this movie is slow-paced, although I think it's, I think it works for the movie. Yeah. Uh, they typically feature brooding uh, men with dark past and amazing coats. Like you will never find cooler coats outside of a noir movie. Yeah. And Kay's coat is very and cool. Kay has a
1: sick coat,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, it just that it nails that sense of scraping on something truly momentous. Like just mm. kind of skating across the surface of something really big. Um there are, I love the I love the investigation scenes. Like I do. I, I love when K goes back to the farm, and he's just looking around. He's looking for clues. He's trying to put things together. And then when he puts things together, and he figures out where he needs to go, we're on that journey with him. We're taking those steps of, okay, I know this. Now I need to go here to figure this out. Now I need to go to this other place and figure this out and talk to these guys and break someone's back in one of the most shocking... It's not actually that shocking, but... Quite famously, amongst us two, <laughs> the first time we watched this movie in the theater uh, and Kay gets attacked by the people in the junkyard, one of the guys attacks him and Kay grabs him and just breaks his back over his knee. And in the theater, I gasped or something like I sharply inhaled because I was so not ready for that.
1: Yeah absolutely i there's a quote i want to say it's by christopher nolan but it might be another director where he says there's something interesting about watching a rat in the maze there's something incredibly compelling about being a rat in the maze that Mm -hmm. there's a difference between watching a character go through something and going through something with the character and i think this movie does a fantastic job of putting you in k's shoes in the investigation which i think helps the movie even though it's slow you're just as interested in finding out the truth as kay is and so you get pulled along as well as the movie is slow so you can sit with some of the ideas the movie is presenting i think man i really just can praise everything in this movie but i think even the dialogue there's some lines that kay says that madam says that i think are so poignant that stick with me take that Denise. yeah do stick with me <laughs> But when Kay says that he doesn't know how he feels about killing something that's born and he says to be born is to have a soul and Madam says you've been getting on fine without one, it's really – it's very well done representing these ideas of these movie – of the movie and getting the audience in that headspace to be thinking about, well, what does it mean in this context to have a soul? Kay wasn't born. He was created. But – does that make his ability to decide his own fate any less legitimate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I really like the dialogue. And then, you know, a lot of the things that Joy tells Kay as he's kind of going through this journey. And she's like, no, you mat Like, there's a difference in what it means to be born versus not. And yeah, it's really fantastic. Yeah, it's such a good, I love setup and payoff. I mean, I,
0: that's like saying I like good writing because that's what it is. But, yeah, it's such good setup and payoff of setting up the idea of like, oh, I haven't been born. That means I don't have a soul. That means I'm not real, which is the perfect setup for his arc of eventually discovering or deciding that it doesn't matter, that he is real, um, that replicants do deserve replicant rights (laughs) (laughs) this is a really pro-replicant yeah we're we're gonna have to go underground because otherwise the lapd is gonna send out some blade runners uh to kill us yeah that'll be bad but no yeah and the same thing with joy stuff which is setting up which is again working towards his arc but also setting up the payoff at the end of when she says what a day huh you look like a good joe that kind of stuff (laughs) yeah that that's yeah and you're right you just you're just excited in this movie or at least i am i know that this movie is a little slow for some people and they just feel bored but for me i was excited the first time i saw this movie because i was so in on the mystery that i was excited for every new clue and every new revelation and every new location because again like it's just such a perfect marriage of special effects and characters and acting and costume and stuff that you're excited about Everything you're excited to learn more about the, star- the story, to see where the character goes, and just to see what new awesomeness Roger Deakins or the special effects team have cooked up for you. Like I was excited learning we're going to leave Los Angeles and go to this other city because I was like, "What's it going to look like? How's Roger Deakins going to
1: film it?" <laughs> no, that's uh, that's so true. That the movie just energizes me. It's exciting, and again, I do think it's very similar to the experience of people in the 70s who saw Star Wars, the experience of people in the 90s who saw The Matrix, that it was a movie that pushed the bounds of what I thought a movie could look like and what I thought a movie could do. Again, like I said at the beginning of this, 2017 was a year where I was really expanding my horizons when it comes to movies, and I think Blade Runner 2049 is one of the biggest movies that pushed me to think about movies in a different way—that I was—that it showed me new things that a movie could do, which is really exciting. Yeah, Elliot, do you have any negatives? I guess I don't know. I mean, I—I uh,
0: I, I mean, Wallace's corporation headquarters were designed by a sociopath.
1: <laughs> but even, even Wallace's headquarters is such a display of opulence. Mm-hmm. Like you said, everyone is being overcrowded and forced into smaller and smaller spaces, and Wallace has this huge... Again, you said he's like a god among men. It feels like a temple to himself, a yeah. temple to everything he's done. And yeah, Jared Leto is a creep, but Wallace is the perfect villain in a movie like this. That mm-hmm. he You need a creep to play Wallace. Yes. And again, like you said, the noir is classic in terms of... The character is coming up against a force that he's not really capable of beating and this movie has those forces like the replicant resistance wallace and it sidesteps it beautifully by being like no it's not about these huge things it's about humans it's about to quote the original blade runner moments that are lost like teardrops in rain oh my gosh <laughs> no i think it's a i think that line is maybe the quintessential distillation of both of these movies and what both of these movies are fundamentally about is about these tiny moments that make us human because we say these things matter and these moments matter. Mm -hmm. Which again is what Kay is saying is the end is that he's like it matters for Deckard to meet his daughter and that's what I'm going to prioritize even to my own death. Which I think is amazing that he doesn't side with the replicants. He doesn't side with one of these larger forces. He sides with these tiny moments which is not going to be for everyone. Again, the movie flopped because the trailer had (laughs) all of the action scenes from the movie. Uh, And the movie is not about action, even though the action is fantastic. The movie's not about these larger forces, even though they're in there. Uh, It's about what makes us human. Well, yeah, I think
0: I am a big proponent of contrast and restraint in movies. I think that contrast... And Restraint is where you get your biggest moments, when you're able to um, compare something against something else that creates a kind of friction from which a lot of interesting things can happen. And Restraint is a big part of that. I know I've talked before about the horror of Halloween, the first Halloween reboot versus the horror of the subsequent sequels and how the first one is much more restrained in its violence. But that makes the impact of when it does really let it go and give you these big, bloody kills, it makes it so much more impactful. And I think the same thing applies here. This is a universal principle of storytelling that the contrast and the restraint of the movie in the fights or in the lack thereof makes these moments when Kay has a fight and he just, like, takes people down. Like, he is so mechanical Eh, eh, pun um in how he takes people down there's no like it's not flashy at all but these bursts of violence just it just makes it gives it so much more oomph than if he was like having to mow down dozens upon dozens of thugs with every step that he took in his mystery
1: yeah Uh, i guess the last thing i'm gonna say before we can maybe get to ratings which i don't think are gonna take too very long uh is the music is also fantastic. it's a synth heavy score it's cool i do occasionally listen to it casually i could watch k fly around in his little car while hans zimmer does some (laughs) synthy music for a long time
0: uh yeah this this score it's (laughs) Just like the rest of the movie, it's immaculate, and I also listen to it casually, and also, some of my favorite shots of this movie uh, are shots of the car just flying through this cyberpunk landscape with uh, advertisements all over the place, and it's really wet and miserable, and you're like, yeah, this is it. This is the good stuff. (laughs) That should be like a, they should make that a screensaver, yeah. right? When your computer goes idle, it just shows K's car flying through Los, Los Angeles while Hans Zimmer's score plays.
1: Sick. Okay, uh, let's get to ratings. Okay. Um, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. For all of the reasons I've said, I've yet to see anyone with what I would term a legitimate critique of the movie that it's it's slow i can see why it would be bad for them i've never seen someone have a critique that for me i was like yeah that's how also how i feel uh this is probably in my top 10 movies of all time it's fantastic it's so amazing yeah top five a (laughs) plus sick well let's get to some recommendations (laughs) then uh elliot you can go first i'm kind of i like your recommendation quite a bit so
0: i'm glad because that doesn't
1: always happen um my recommendation this was
0: hard because this is a very unique movie with a very unique setting and aesthetic and ideas behind it um i toyed around with some some notions uh the one i came closest to i do want to mention this because i do think it's kind of similar is ex machina which is treat trading in the same kinds of ideas uh, so you should watch that if you want to which you should want to. <laughs> you should just do what I say. <laughs> but the one I went for eventually was the noir angle. Um, and so I chose one of my favorite noirs, and that's L.A. Confidential. Um, this is a movie from the 90s, I think. Uh, and it's just your typical noir story of uh, some cops, uh, some detectives trying to solve some murders and also fight against corruption at City Hall and within their own ranks. Uh it's got a really stellar ensemble cast. Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce. Um, what's the name of the guy who played the Farmer and Babe? Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't know, I don't but know. he's he's, he's really good. good. And he's fantastic in this role. His role is one of the best parts of this movie, and a lot of it is made by its casting. Um yeah, it's just a great noir. It's got the same it's a little bit more flashy, a little bit more punchy than uh, Blade Runner 2049. It's got less of the thematic material, but if you liked Blade Runner 2049 for the noir elements, for the mystery, for the pleasure of solving a mystery alongside a character, and for some truly great reveals and twists, uh, absolutely, I would say, go for L.A. Confidential.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. That's a great movie. It was nominated for Best Picture. It lost to Titanic, I believe. Yes. Um, But yeah, really good movie. I went a different angle. I went, if you enjoy this movie and you're okay with slow science fiction, I'm going to recommend the Russian classic Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. This is his final movie. It follows uh, three characters as they are led into the dead zone by a stalker to try and find the room. It's a room that allows you to basically gain knowledge on a specific thing. Uh, It's a fascinating movie. I think it's really... It's so much slower than Blade Runner 2049, so you should be prepared going in that it's going to be very slow, but it has these characters debating these ideas of knowledge versus ignorance. What does it mean to have knowledge? What does knowledge cost? Do we really want full knowledge of things that we... Believe or things that we have faith in. I think it's a very interesting movie. I've thought about it quite a bit since I watched it. So I I think everyone should watch it. It's very exciting. It's much more slow. It's much more philosophical than this one. But I think if you're ready for those things when you go in, uh, I think you'll have a pretty good time. Especially if you liked this movie and were okay with how slow it is. I think you, you might enjoy this one. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. Um, I'm really interested in the book
0: it's based on or was inspired by, uh, which is by a pair of Russian authors who were constantly annoying the Soviet Union by writing good things because the Soviet Union wasn't really big on good books. Um, but yeah, I, I do want to watch it eventually. I'll probably read the book first and then see where I'm at. Uh, but yeah, I, I
1: don't think I've ever seen a Tarkovsky movie. They're so slow. I mean, every single one of them is this is also the movie this is just a movie fun fact most of the film was filmed around the ruins of chernobyl so it did in fact result in most of the cast getting cancer and dying wow
0: well that was uh deeply irresponsible of mr tarkovsky well he died too so yeah that's irresponsible (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) well you know that just goes to show you there was a you know unbelievable good
1: job that just goes to show you that life is hard and full of disappointments Well, that's true, but sometimes life is easy and full of great, great films like Blade Runner 2049 and like, hopefully, Dune Part Two coming out this week. Uh, I'm probably going to go this Saturday. I'm very excited for it. I reread the book and read the sequel, all in preparation for this film. Uh, We might eventually do a Dune episode. We'll see. Feel free to email us if you would like to see that. If you enjoyed the episode... Drop us a dollar or two in the donation bin. <laughs> okay,
0: we're not going to do that. We're not going to incessantly pitch our, uh, whatever, PayPal account. That's <laughs> that's that's just that's lame. Okay,
1: well, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We're going to be back next week. We're going to be talking the Oscars. We're going to yeah. be talking nominees. We're going to be talking predictions. We're going to be talking... Everything else that there is, <laughs> there's which, so much, so many, too many to list.
0: We're gonna be talking about the oh, truly awful presenters. Yeah,
1: we're gonna talk about how excited we are to hear Jimmy Kimmel make a joke or something. <sighs> yeah, we're gonna be. It's, I'm really
0: excited for Jimmy Kimmel to like make a bunch of jokes to Volodymyr Zelensky or something, <laughs> and just have him sit there like, oh, what's going on. That stuff with Malala. That, that was, was awful. That was, a, that was truly a
1: awful. A low point of the Oscars. That was industry. a low
0: point of the cinematic medium, I think. Okay, anyway. anyway. We hope you have a great <laughs> week.
1: We'll be here next week. Thank you for listening.